0: Hey, welcome to Alex Listens, a podcast and video thing, um, about nothing. Um, no, about, uh, ethics and philosophy and politics and race and that kind of stuff. Um, I'm your host. My name's Alex. Um, I've recently added like a video component, um, which is what this is, if you didn't know. Um, so yeah uh how are you um that, i mean now is a um a more interesting time to be reflecting on that question than uh other times um but yeah um i am in self isolation um this is my what day is it it's monday i think yeah it's monday um This is my one, two, three, fourth. This is my fourth day of self-isolation. Um, and yeah, I mean, we are living in a, in a time with unprecedented social, political, economic, personal, spiritual, existential, philosophical, ethical, um, consequences and ramifications. So I decided to do an episode about it. And that's what this is. Um, I'm hoping to do one episode every day for the next two weeks or for the remainder of my time in self-isolation. Um, some will be about the coronavirus. Others will be about other things. Um, if you don't know about my podcast, uh, it's called Alex listens. Um, you can find more on my website, www.alex.co. Um, otherwise, yeah. Um, Spotify, Apple podcasts, wherever you find your podcasts. Um, okay. So, uh, I guess if you're listening to this, if you're not watching it, um, maybe try watching it and you can see my face. I'm smiling right now. Cause I'm, really happy um but uh yeah so today i wanted to talk about um kind of i mean we're in melbourne in australia um i mean i i have been i've been living in london for the past nearly the past year or the past 9 months i've been there um and or 8 months something like that um, and so, mostly, I've been hearing what's happening in London, in the UK, which is absolutely nothing, um, uh, until kind of recently, the past two days. Um, schools were closed, and... or schools are closed... Schools closed on Friday um, for the foreseeable future, and... Uh, yeah. Um, Boris has been congratulating everyone for their, their hard work, and I mean... I went for a walk in the park while I was in London a few days before I left. And, you know, the park was full. The cafes are full. Um, It seems like things are different in Melbourne. It seems like um, uh, Daniel Andrews, the Premier, um, has been pushing... Has been pushing Victoria, the state that Melbourne is in, um, to kind of more tightly contain the coronavirus. Um, And, yeah... Okay, so I'm going to split this episode into, I think, three parts. The first part is, um, a discussion of the personal, uh, the personal ramifications of the coronavirus, the personal impact that it has. Um, and this is, this is the thing that I feel the most equipped to talk about. Um, and I guess I feel that way because I'm a philosophy student and, A lot of my, uh, a lot of the areas which I've been interested in have been, um, uh, have kind of, um, revolved around questions of individual duty and individual, uh, questions of purpose and and meaning and belonging and identity. Um, but you know, all of these with, as with many kind of areas in the humanities, things extend in infinite directions. So, um, a lot of the, the ethics that I've studied, you know, what is applicable at a personal level is also applicable at, you know, a social, um, a social level. Um, okay. So the first, first thing, uh, personal impact. Second thing, social impact. And when I say social, I guess, I mean, you know, your, your immediate social circle, um, you know, your friends, your family, uh, maybe, you know, the kind of area in which you live, um, and, you know, kind of the culture, the culture which you belong to, um, yeah, I guess I, well, that, so th- that's the second, and th- the third level is kind of the international, um, and, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be hard to speak about these things as three perfectly distinct categories, um, for reasons which will, you know, make, become very clear as, as I, as I, um, talk about them. Um, but yeah, I'll be, I'll begin with the first one. So how does, how does COVID, how does the coronavirus, um, what does it teach us about ourselves as individuals? Okay, so this is um this question um Okay, it's not helpful to tell you that this question is challenging. Um I have a tendency to do that, saying things are, you know, challenging and it's it's pointless. Um but it's exceptionally overwhelming um thinking about the myriad of ways in which the coronavirus is changing the life of every single person. Um, uh, okay. So how, how does it affect us personally? What ought we to think about? How, how should we behave differently? Um, so clearly human beings aren't suited to social isolation. Um, we are social beings. Um, the idea of being, at a distance from friends, from family, from, uh, groups that we derive meaning from, um, that is something that is almost unfathomable. Um, I personally derive pretty much all of my identity from the, the various groups, uh, which I'm in. Um, I guess the smallest group is my family, which is very small. Um, my mom, my dad, and me. Um, And then, you know, my friendship circle and then kind of, you know, my podcast audience, my university life, my job, um, you know, sport, all of these things involve other people. And, you know, that's very different now. Those groups have been completely dismantled or put on, they've been put on hold. Um, And... The, le- the the consequence of this for us is that we have to reconfigure how we think about our time and how we think about the ways in the ways, how we think about the things that make us feel as though we're doing something that is meaningful. Um, I'm someone who tends to drift in various directions and I'm someone who's prone to depression. Um, and One of the ways in which, one of the ways which my uh, depression, my defession, um, my depression manifests is by, um, me kind of not feeling as though I'm actually engaging with anything. Um, and that, I guess that's a bit unclear, but I mean, I don't, sometimes I don't really feel as though the kind of activities that I, am participating in. I don't feel like they're actually doing anything to me. Um, and I guess that's because there's a kind of numbness that I feel, quite a strong numbness that I feel. Um, and being alone. Um, and I guess another, the, the other thing that I need to say is that, uh, you know, my depression fluctuates as it does with most people at the moment. I'm actually feeling remarkably, um, I feel pretty good. Um, as in, as in, uh, I feel like I'm able to kind of think about things in a way that isn't totally clouded my depression. Obviously, um, I do not feel remotely good about the situation that our species, um, is in. Um, okay. So without, without strong established uh, safe, reliable social bonds, the individual is left with themselves. Um, and I'm not sure how common, uh, introspection is as in the kind of introspection where, you know, you're not on your phone. Um, you're not in, you're not communicating with someone, uh, you're by yourself like, totally by yourself um i'm not totally by myself there's um someone in the house where i'm staying a friend um and when when you don't have things that are familiar um it can feel as though When you don't have access to things that are familiar, it can feel as though you're not yourself anymore because there's kind of this reciprocal process of negotiation between you and the group, you and the thing that you're doing, and they inform each other. So you have your personality, your character traits, your identity, your personal history. There's the group that you're a part of. I don't know, sport group, social group, political group, whatever. And, you know, you contribute to the group, the group contributes to you. And this is ongoing. You take the group away and you're just left with this thing, which is you. Social media, the internet, and the kind of privilege of being able to be in constant communication with other people has meant that, even without you know the physical presence of groups um you can still you still have this kind of virtual sphere um and so you know while i've been in isolation i've been talking to people every day i've been talking to my mom i've been talking to my dad i've been talking to friends and i'm sure all of you have been doing that as well um and it's it's amazing and it's beautiful that we have that privilege that we have the privilege to be able to experience part of what it's like to be with someone when they're not there. We have this kind of internet proxy that allows us to kind of strangely get in contact with someone. Um, but there's a downside to this. Um, and I think that now that downside is becoming extremely clear. Um, the downside is that we're not trained to have our lifestyles radically changed. Um, the way we- I, okay. When I say we, um, I, I think I'm talking about the world that I'm familiar with, which is, uh, the Western world. Um, and th- yeah. Um, I my concern is that, uh, my concern is that people. Okay, so one of the things that we need to think about during this time is, or one of the questions we need to ask ourselves is, how are we going to make sure that in the future we are spending enough time thinking about ourselves, such that, or maybe not, you know, it's not kind of this. I'm not talking. I'm not advocating. You know, kind of self love, narcissism, whatever. Just like. Just an understanding of yourself as something that can exist independent of all, all groups. Um, or that the, the idea of the self that obviously, like, I'm not saying that the self does exist totally independent of all of these groups because of that reciprocal relation that I was relationship that I was talking about. There is this kind of mutual informing process, um, but people, people need, including myself, we need to practice feeling as though we can be in our own space by ourselves, or kind of, you know, with a select number of people and not feel as though our world is over and not feel as though we can't, you know, keep doing the things that bring meaning to our lives. Um, because there have there, there have to be there has to be things. There have to be whatever. There ha, there has to be things outside of the kind of benefits of being around other people that bring you meaning. Like this podcast. This this is what I've discovered brings me immense meaning and kind of allows me to open myself up in a way that I I'm not really able to in other ways. And I do this mostly alone. Obviously I have, you know, there's some kind of community, you know, I, people, people message me, whatever I message people, we talk, I get ideas about episodes. I discuss things with friends, but for the most part, it's a very personal and individual kind of, uh, project. Um, and I feel like, Maybe it kind of suits my personality, because I think I'm quite an introverted person. Um, you know, I still socialize um, not as much as I used to, but you know i feel I feel pretty overwhelmed if I spend time in big groups. My preference is to be in smaller groups. Um, and yeah i'm I'm concerned for I'm concerned that people are just waiting for people are just killing time now while they're in some kind of isolation waiting for the day that you know the premier the prime minister the president whatever they they are that they receive instructions saying hey go back to a normal life and then this this intermediate process this intermediate time has just been empty it's just been a kind of suppression of Kind of self-reflection and um, kind of an attempt to think about how how we're supposed to belong by ourselves, um, what it means not to have the what it means to be without the privilege of being around the groups that are familiar and safe and whatever. So, what I want is for people to to reflect. And may, may, maybe it's happening. Maybe it's already happening. But, um, you know, uh, I'm I'm kind of alarmed by the way that I... And, like, I think that I am... I think that, you know, a gift and... Uh, no, not a gift. A blessing and a curse for me has been um, kind of the way that I spend time in my head. I think I spend so much time in my head that it doesn't even feel like... I'm actually present most of the time because I'm just kind of in this like weird, fantastical place of anxiety and depression, um, in my head most of the time. But what it means is that, um, like now I feel like in isolation, I'm not, a f- I, I, guess I just feel comfortable having time to myself and not being, I'm I don't feel like, I don't feel like for however long, maybe if it's, you know, months, things are going to be different, but for this two week period of mandatory self-isolation, I'm confident that I can spend time by myself and not kind of, you know, um need to break the law and go and socialize with people. Um, and here, okay, so now we kind of now we move into the next. We're not moving to the second, maybe we are moving into the the second thing, the social the social implications of the coronavirus. but so let me just recap. I think the the personal implications are mostly existential. Um, what does it mean? what we've we've been we've been shown that our a lot of the ways that we think about society can't can't be permanent if people were socializing in groups this whole time look i mean we just need to look elsewhere we need to look at countries that unfortunately um didn't have you know weren't uh, I guess Australia's kind of had a slower, um, you know, we're two weeks behind Italy, and Italy. Uh, you just need to look at. You just need to look at the news to see how. I guess it's it's deeply deeply upsetting, um, hearing about the the mass loss of life, um, and the strain on the public healthcare system and the kind of draconian measures that need to be put in place to control the community, um, but. Oh, I've I've kind of lost my. I've lost my. It's raining outside. I've lost my train of thought. Um, but. Yeah, at, I, as I was saying, I was trying to recap. Um. We. Oh, that, that's a, okay. So sorry, it just took me a little bit of time to remember what I was actually saying. I was saying that the relationship between the individual and the group can't be permanent because if it is permanent, then coronavirus, things like coronavirus aren't going to be able to be stopped. We as individuals need to be comfortable spending time as individuals with, you know, obviously not, not forever. It's, it's not going to be forever. Um, we are social beings, but at the same time, that doesn't mean that we are perpetually, with that we forever, we always need to be in groups, not every second of the day. We have to try and reflect on the benefits that we receive from groups, the kind of shortcomings or the pitfalls of our experiences of spending time alone, and try and work with ourselves to quell the urge to go and socialize under times like this we can't, I, I can't go outside. I mean, I can go in the garden, but I can't go to a group. I was on a plane. I was in two of the busiest airports in the world. Um, and for those of you who aren't under, you know, mandatory self-isolation, that isn't. And you know, when they're when you're being, when you're under pressure by the government to kind of, you know, perform social distancing, remain at six feet away from a person that isn't permission to, you know, go and continue living your life as the way, the way you were beforehand. Um, yeah, so it's, you know, it's, it's hard for me to articulate what exact, what the exact, what the impact is on the individual, because I'm, I'm in my fourth day of self-isolation and, and I feel I miss socializing dearly. And I consider myself to be someone who, do, who doesn't actually need that much socializing. Um, and I guess I'm concerned about people. I have friends who are, you know, really, really extreme extroverts. They must be around other people, um, and I guess you know this extroversion introversion spectrum. Um, maybe it's not as simple as that. But you know, I'm concerned that I'm concerned that yeah, that if something like this happens again, no, we're not going to have learnt the importance of kind of you know being able to spend time by ourselves and, you know, thinking about the reasons why we don't feel like we can spend time by ourselves. And, you know, some people don't like, I was talking with, um, my friend who I'm living with and a few months ago, him and his, uh, him and his parents went to a, um, um, a sensory deprivation place where you go in a sensory deprivation tank and him and his mom loved the experience of being kind of devoid of, of kind of sensory or a lot of sensory input. You know, there's no noise. You're in a tank with super salty water. After a while, it doesn't feel like you're in contact with anything. There's no smell. It's totally black. You can't see anything. Um, and his dad, uh, you know, hated it. He said, I hate, I hate being in, in my head. I don't like not being able to be around other people. Um, obviously, you know, his dad has, um, is, you know, containing these kind of impulses to be around other people. Um, but you know, I worry, I worry for people who, who don't have the kind of practice who aren't familiar with experiencing or navigating the world without other people around them. Um, And that obviously that is a genuine, that is a genuine concern. Um, okay. So I'm already at 30 minutes or something like that. 25 minutes. Um, and I didn't want to keep this too long. So there is some fodder to grapple with at the personal level. Okay. The social level, um, We, okay, so, actually, maybe, maybe I've kind of already covered a lot of the social level, um, by talking about the relationship between the group and the individual, um, but I think what I wanted to say, what I wanted to gesture to, um, when we think about the social, the kind of social implications, by social I mean, you know, group, family, these things, um, I guess, I think that we need to, we need to have faith that we need to have faith that these groups aren't going to fall apart after two weeks of self-isolation, um, or three weeks or one month. Um, we need to have faith that, um, that, you know, Things will return in some sense to how they were before. Obviously, uh, you know, uh, the way I was talking about the kind of individual impact, I think there is a lot that needs to change. So I don't want things to return to to exactly return to how they were beforehand. Um, you know, we need to think very differently about health and hygiene, hand washing. Um, if someone is unwell, you know, they need to wear, a, a surgical mask to prevent the spread of germs. Um, people don't need to be hoarding, going to the supermarket and buying out the entire, you know, buying 500 packets of pasta. When, you know, people high people who are high up are saying that there isn't a demand, it, there isn't a supply issue. You know, we have enough stuff. Um, it's terrifying hearing, uh, you know, I... People are uh, pulling knives on each other over toilet paper. Um, Yeah, I mean, these are concerning times. But that doesn't mean that you can relinquish decency. You still have to maintain respect for the other, um, respect for kind of fundamental social codes. You know, you don't, you don't assault someone because they're trying to, they want some toilet paper. You don't, yeah, you don't go on eBay and buy all the hand sanitizer and then sell it at an inflated price. These things are deeply, deeply wrong, deeply wrong. Um, and I think a few years ago, I would have said that People are fundamentally self-interested and that that is a justification for this kind of behavior. And now I think my, my thinking has matured or I don't know, I've grown older, I've seen more, whatever. Um, and I, I think part of it is that, um, people, including myself have a hard time. So yeah, I, I think maybe I can make a generalization about our species. Our species has a hard time hearing something about hearing something about the way the world is and then internalizing that and actually believing it to be true if it isn't our direct experience. So when you go to the supermarket, which I you know I haven't done in Melbourne, um, and uh I you know I didn't really do that in London. Um, in, you know, the, the kind of days leading up to my departure, there's a local grocery store, which fortunately was, you know, it had, it was fully supplied. You know, I didn't overbuy things because I, I wasn't afraid that, that there was going to be, you know, a shortage. But when you go to a supermarket and you see empty shelves, so that there's one story there's your lived experience, which is you've gone to the supermarket and there's nothing on the shelves. And then on the other hand, you've heard on the news that, you know, the the premier is saying that there isn't a shortage of stuff, but there's a mismatch between what you're hearing on the news and your lived experience. And this is a, this is a really challenging tension. And it's, I don't think it's a tension that we can just neglect in favor of our lived experience. Um that doesn't give you the right to, you know, queue out the front of Woolworths at six AM and go in and buy all of the pasta or something if you've already got a lot at home. Um Yeah. So at the social level, we need to reflect on <laughs> maybe, maybe there's just really, really widespread trust issues, um, which I would probably believe because, you know, I have trust issues of my own. Um, but yeah, I guess I'm disappointed with, with the stories of, um, with kind of, you know, particular behavior that I've heard, um, people neglecting the, like, you know, the basic humanity of others, treating people as, um, yeah, treating people as though, or just neglecting, neglecting instructions from the government or something, having no conception of not being able to, to understand themselves as people who can kill others by going out and socializing. Um, young people can be silent carriers of the coronavirus. Um, we can carry it, we can be a carrier and not demonstrate any symptoms. Um, unfortunately the symptoms aren't remarkably clear. There isn't like, you know, something like, you know, spots on your hand or something. It's, you know, a sore throat, um, a dry and persistent cough, a new dry and persistent cough. And yeah, that's what they think the two main symptoms are. Obviously there are many other ways in which it can manifest. You know, I've, there infinite symptoms of this thing. You know, I've read that, you know, it can be a loss of smell and taste because of the virus kind of over, um, over pressuring, you know, your, your nasal passageways or something. Um, and that's another issue. Like in a, in a neoliberal world where you have 500 different media companies or news companies, whose story who like who who do we believe what do we actually what do we actually believe is happening in the world um you know china recently expelled all i think it was all american journalists maybe all uh english speaking journalists i'm not sure um i think it may have just been all american journalists I read the New York Times, and so obviously the New York Times were very upset by that, and so I read this impassioned piece about, you know, violations of free speech and, you know, right to the, the right to kind of access the truth and that kind of stuff. Um, but, yeah, um, I guess a, a wider social, maybe we can kind of move to the third thing, the international, one of the international ramifications is that transparency is fundamental. It is so, so important to dealing with things like this. Um, if, if a government suppresses, um, you know, how many cases there are, uh, if a government like, you know, the Tory government in the UK, um, I mean, I, I, I was glad that I was able to fly out of the UK and come to Australia and I was I'm extremely fortunate in being able to go somewhere away from people who are at risk, um, and be for in self isolation for two weeks in Australia. But at the same time, I was concerned about the volume of people in the airport and, you know, there was no hand sanitizer. Um, there were, it seemed like nothing. It just seemed, I mean, we are, we, our world is not prepared for a pandemic. Um, I've kind of avoided talking about the economic uh, side of things because I will do that in a later episode. Um, I think this is more about the social, the intrapersonal uh, ramifications of the virus. So, yeah, internationally, um, it is morally reprehensible not to allow other governments or or news reporting agencies to report what is actually happening somewhere. Because what that means is that the virus is going to spread. Um, against our knowledge. Um another interesting thing is that the Western world until maybe a week ago believed itself to be immune from coronavirus. There was kind of this, you know, classic oriental pastiche, this idea that, ah, you know, the Orient, like, you know, uncivilized, whatever. Um, Edward Said has this beautiful book, Orientalism, where he talks about this, um, the idea that, you know, the kind of primitive, uh, not advanced ways in which, you know, the Eastern world is, won't be able to come over to the Western world. And I imagine that that was actually what many people believed. Um, and that was a reason why there was such, there has been such a slow response by the Western world. Um, yeah, I mean, coronavirus, many people are saying that coronavirus, they felt like coronavirus was a joke until, uh, two weeks ago. Um, until a week ago or something like that. Uh, and, you know, um, when people have their, when people have their money, their financial situation impacted. Remember before how I was saying that, um, that there is this strange tension between lived experience and reported experience. Um, when people, it seems like when people have their, their subjective experience of the world influenced by something, it becomes real. And until then, it can just remain a mystery, a question mark. Um, this is something I'm very interested in. Um, yeah, it's, it's a very, very strange psychological reality. Um, it's very weird that, you know, it seems like we have to wait until something happens to us for it to be true or for it to actually feel as though, you know, it can impact our world. And until then you can just kind of wait and say, Oh, ha ha coronavirus. What a joke. You know, that's not going to be a threat to Western medicine. That's not going to be a threat to you know the Australian public healthcare system. Um, yeah, I think we, ha- in Australia, we have 2000, uh, ICU beds, intensive care unit beds with respirators. Um, Yeah. I, I was meant to interview a doctor. Um, but it didn't happen because I had, I, I didn't have time. Um, I had to leave the UK and so, but I spoke with, um, spoke with another friend who is a doctor. Uh, and you know, one of his concerns was that, and I guess, you know, this is what's happening in, this is what's happened in Italy. Um, Beds are full Um If someone comes in And needs a respirator And there are no respirators They die Or well, they're very They're probably going to die Um But then also What about all of the other What if you have appendicitis What if You know These other kind of uh, Ailments These other illnesses What if we're You know We succumb to something else Um Which obviously is Is possible Um So this is why, this is why we need, this is why we absolutely must limit the spread of this virus. Social distancing is a must. Um, One thing that is very interesting is the way in which behavior... The way in which what is considered to be normal can change very quickly. So two weeks ago, it was normal to go to the pub. Now it is not normal to go to the pub. Um, People are stigmatized, maybe rightly so, for going to the pub against the instructions of the government. Um, I guess now, you know, um, Sunday... What day? It's Monday, right? (laughs) Yeah. Sunday afternoon, um, Daniel Andrews announced that You know, in the next 48 hours, all non-essential services were going to close. Pubs are closed. They're not essential. Um, Sorry, that sound is a motorbike outside, you know, because motorbiking is um, essential. No, maybe they're traveling um, somewhere essential. I'm not sure. Um, Yeah. um, Maybe, maybe I've said enough maybe that's enough for the moment. Um, that's 45 or 40 minutes. Um, I hope that gave you something to think about. Um, I hope as an individual now, uh, it seems like a lot of the people who listen to this podcast are very introspective people. Um, but what doesn't seem to be happening is, okay. So one thing that, One thing that I've been putting off talking about because it's a very challenging topic is the way in which, um, the way in which certain circles exist as echo chambers. I'm convinced that my podcast audience is, you know, some kind of echo chamber. Um, I've been pretty partisan with the people I've interviewed, um, And, you know, I have many reasons for that. I don't feel comfortable interviewing someone who is, um, you know, a fascist. Um, Not even that. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Um, You should listen to my interview with Dr. Maria Alvarez, the head of philosophy at King's College London, if you want to hear a discussion of that kind of stuff. Um, How and when to engage with people on the other side of your politics. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I hope this was helpful. Um, if it was, get in touch, please. You can do so on Instagram. You can send me an email, Alex, sorry, contact at alex.co, um, subscribe to my channel, whatever. Um, yeah, thanks. Um, be safe, respect the boundaries Which need to be respected And Have a think about Have a think about the way Have a think about The reasons why you're struggling Or why the people around you Might be struggling While they're alone Um, Anyway, that's all for now Um, I'll be doing another episode tomorrow So stay tuned Bye Okay, kinda like a travel down a one way. There's no way to stop feeling okay. It's not great, it's more like I'm great.